Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au.
3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan, from Sally, hosted by Sally, first broadcasting noon through one Australian Eastern Standard Time, which I will say is 10pm North American Eastern Time, on Sunday and Saturday respectively. I'm Sally, I use the pronoun she, her 3CR proudly broadcasts from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and we pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello to any Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people from any land upon you, from, from which you are listening, particularly in this NAIDOC week as it gets underway, National Aboriginal and Islander Day Observance Committee being NAIDOC. And hello to First Nations people from all over the planet. And we'll have another episode of Pacific X at around halfway through the show. Out of the Pan is a show, well, focused overwhelmingly, on, I'm going to say today, on pan issues, but obviously with lots of intersections and many, many things. And I'll introduce my guest in a minute, but there's lots of ways to get in touch with the show. You can email outofthepan855 at gmail.com. SMS 61456751215. If you are listening internationally, put your international code in front. You can tweet at Sal Gold Said So, and that's the bottom line. And look for posts on Facebook on my page, Sally Goldner AM and Out of the Pan 3CR 855 AM Melbourne. Remember, any opinions on the show that I express are my own, not those of any organisation with which I'm associated, past or present. You can snail mail um, if you want to send a card, P.O. Box 1277, Collingwood, Victoria, Australia, 3066. There probably will be some degree of triggering content today, Um, mentions of patriarchy, misogynism, um, homophobia, um, cisgenderism and transphobia. I think I could say endosexism and interphobia. So in Australia, um, you have QLife, including Switchboard on 1800 184 527 and Rainbow Door on 1800 729 367. And as part of NAIDOC Week, we opened up with Troy Kassar Daily, and we are back on country. 
always was, always will be Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander land. But across the Pacific Ocean, um, I have a very wonderful and I'm very honoured to have a fantastic guest on the Zoom lines uh, with me today. Um, And I have to say with much gratitude um, for my guest tonight calling in from what is now the eastern seaboard of the United States um, at a um, what should be a bedtime hour. I certainly would be in bed with a glass of warm milk in all fairness. So I thank very much a wonderful guest, a bioneer, a bio-icon, and she'll probably deny it, but I'm going to, I'll say that you are. Robin Oaks, welcome to the 3CR Airwaves. It's an honour to have you with us. Thank you so much, Sally. I'm so glad to be here with you. It's wonderful to have you with us, and I do want to talk understandably about bi-plus issues, but now, look, we can't ignore what goes on and it affects so many people, and we will talk about this throughout the show um, people who are able to to carry, um, if I can put it that way, because of what happened in America around 10 days or so ago with the overturning of Roe versus Wade and what it means. But I wanted to start just in case, well, look, I'm sure lots of bi people, us people have heard of you, but maybe some gay, lesbian, heterosexual people haven't. So, um, you know, I know it's always a tough thing, but um, a little bit about Robin Oaks. Who is Robin Oaks? Go, go for it. Who am I? So my name is Robin Oaks. I go by she and they pronouns. And I have identified as bisexual now for 45 years and nine months. Uh I love telling people this information because, as we all know, one of the most common stereotypes about bisexuality is that it's just a phase. Mm. So in my case, it's been a very, 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 very long phase. (laughs) <laughs> it's lasted my entire adult life, and I expect it will last even longer than it has. So that's 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 my identity. Um, I live in Boston. I grew up in New York City, and I am a an educator, a writer, an editor, um, and an all around advocate for bi plus and LGBTQIA plus people. Um, and I do all of my work through an intersectional and social justice lens. Um, I miss, I travel around the country and often beyond and occasionally even to Australia um, speaking about these issues. I have edited two anthologies. One is called Getting By, Voices of Bisexuals Around the World. And the other is called Recognize, the Voices of Bisexual Men. And I'm an ongoing editor of a wonderful grassroots global publication called By Women Quarterly. And that's available online for free at bywomenquarterly.com. And I'm very proud of that publication because it's just a little tiny grassroots publication that has existed now for 40 years. Wow. We are, yes, we are completing our 40th consecutive year of existence without interruption. And We've done that with practically no resources and just a lot of um, love and hope and, you know, volunteer energy. And I'm so proud of that publication. It's, it's, it's a beautiful publication that features, you know, just the voices and stories of real people. And it's, it's beautiful. Well, absolutely. 40 years, which is an amazingly long time for anything that's, we'll say, small and grassroots-ish um, community yeah. or sort of small, we'll say community-type small business, if I can put it that way, um, whatever, you know, we can split hairs on technicalities. And, of course, also I just want to 
honour the bi people who went through gay or lesbian or heterosexual phases on the way to being their authentic self. And I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, but I do like to get that one back when people say bi is a phase. And, um, of course, we always say get on the fence, the view's better, but, um, you know, you can get get the best of everything. Um, and that's um, the tongue coming out the other side of the cheek. But um, really, really important that you mention all those things. And also, yes, you were in here in our fair city of uh, Melbourne slash Nam back in January 2020, which I remember because, because it was the last big queer conference before the pandemic and um, the world changed so much. Um, and you were here and so many other people, CN Lester, fabulous non-binary musician from the UK. Um, it was just an amazing time. And then, of course, so much changed. But you, uh, let's. Well, while I think of it, you are coming back to this continent again, hopefully, um, deity willing, next year. Yes, I, it's there's a plan in the works for me to come back in 2023 for the Better Together conference again. Yep, this time over yeah. in Adelaide. Um, we'll very yes. much look forward to seeing you there and be be bees and buzzing in and pans cooking things up and all that sort of thing. Um, and just so much wonderful work um, that you do. And um, big hi um, out there to Jason and all the crew from Equality Project who organised that. And, of course, yeah, we um, various states and territories affected by lockdowns for the last Better Together last year, which ended up in Adelaide and we had to hybrid and all that sort of thing, but a lot of people just couldn't get there. So 45 years and nine months, I, I suppose that leads to a question what changes for um, focus on bi plus people for better or worse have you seen in that time? There have been huge changes. Um, when I first came out as bi, you know, it was a time of, of deep silence on this topic. Mm. Um, I didn't know. I think by the time I reached, I came out at age 18 and by the time I reached that age, I had only met one other person who mm -hmm. said he identified as bi. And when he said it, I didn't believe him mm. because I, th I thought he was just being precocious. <laughs> and, and, but I didn't know anybody else. And that's why I didn't really take it seriously. And when I realized I was bi, I felt so alone and unusual and rare. And I, it made it very, very hard to come out. I also want, I think it's also important to think that, Remember that that time was a time that I refer to as BG before Google. Mm, yes. Yeah. It's a Coming out without the internet is a very different experience. Coming out, you know, when you don't have free access to resources is a very, very, very different and challenging experience. And I honestly believe that there were hardly any bisexual people in the world and that whatever I was experiencing was extremely, you know, rare and unusual and strange and, it was horrible. And, and also at the time there was a burgeoning gay and lesbian movement, mm. but they did not mean LGB and they did not mean LGBT or LGBTQ. Mm. They meant, you know, gay and lesbian. And so there were resources out there, but they weren't, I didn't feel that they were available to me yeah. because I wasn't coming out as lesbian. Well, well look, absolutely. So, and so much of the research, um, what, um, that, um, you know, sort of um, is, um, you know, was around at the time where bi people, you know, which, no, and I will, I'll say small content note, non-binary erasure, bi people, you know, in research or policy documents, it was lesbian and bi women 
gay and bi men, which totally erased the bi experience um, for non-binary and also affect, you know, sort of largely erased for, um, you know, binary um, bi men and women and was, you know, very non-intersectional. And we'd constantly even have to push to get by its own section in research and policy and often still yes. are. Um now, which leads to a question which I wanted to ask you, which dives us in deep away from the the 101. You know, there are lots of wonderful allies out there, whether they are gay, lesbian or heterosexual, to use the <clears throat> encompassing term, monosexual, attracted to one gender. Unfortunately, there are some gays and lesbians who will not be called in. They might make a mistake like saying... Um, you know, sort of, they might make a mistake that's by raising. I was at, sadly in an event on Friday night where a an entertainer went up to someone in the audience and said, are you homosexual or heterosexual? And I'm just instantly going, oh gosh. Now, I haven't, I didn't get a chance to talk to that person, but I would have liked to have called in and said, do you realise what you did? Now, if they say, oh, sorry, hadn't thought of that, fine, we move on, we fixed it. What happens when we have individuals and organisations who won't be called in, you say, oh, get over yourself, don't be so politically correct, and all the rest of it. How I wanted to ask you, how have you, have you had, well, I guess you would have had that experience and they won't be called in. How do we deal with it? <laughs> well, I'll say a couple of things. I, I think you made a really important point that about, it, I think it's important to give people information about what they're doing about what they're doing that's hurtful and why um i have had several experiences where that's happened and i've actually gone up to the person and said so when you said this it was a very binary statement for just using using your your example mm. you know that was a very binary statement and it actually leaves out a lot of people in your audience including me and i'd like to ask that you consider not saying that particular joke in the future or modifying it so that it's more inclusive. Mm. And I've done that in the past. I've gone up to people backstage before they were going on, or like if I, if I were able to access them and said, mm -hmm. you know, when you give your talk, can you please, would you please consider, you know, referring to the community in this way. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I've found that many people are very open to, to learning, especially if you don't yell at them. You know, if you speak to them in a constructive way, but you're right. Some people, no matter what you say, no matter how you say it, will not really be interested in hearing what you have to say. And for those people, I don't really consider that acceptable. Um, I, I don't, I don't know that I can always necessarily change how they behave, but I can choose not to um, engage with them. Um, I can choose to start a more, concerted campaign to change their behavior and, you know, bringing in more than just myself and getting mm -hmm. other people to get feedback, sometimes getting people who they perceive as peers to give them feedback. So sometimes I'll recruit people to talk to them. Mm -hmm. um, that said, there are definitely, you know, levels of engagement with, with by plus people and some people really don't care all that much. And some people do, um, I guess, one caution that I would say here is there is a way in which we often get really, really mad at people in our own community mm. and forget that it's there are people outside our community who are doing even more harm. Yeah. And we direct all of our frustration and all of our rage at people within our own community. And I'm not sure 
I think sometimes we forget who the real enemies are. This is a valid point, um, you know, um, that, you know, and that will lead nicely into our next, you know, seg- major segment of conversation in a second, which I do want to comment on. But um, it can be frustrating when people who claim to represent us represent us wrongly and then groups like Bi and, for that matter, Trans, Intersex, Ace, you know, do get left behind. Um, it's, a, it's a frustration. So, But I also agree that, you know, as difficult as it is, and I totally acknowledge any privilege that I will have as someone who is white, non-Aboriginal, and I, I'll say perceived as middle class might have compared to many, many others. And there's plenty of other things that I could say there. Um, and it's not easy to sort of take a deep breath and go, now, look, I feel really frustrated when blah, blah, blah happens <laughs> um, and that sort of thing or whatever it is. Um, do want to just before we get um, linked back, um, had a, someone on, on Twitter, um, a fabulous, awesome listener. Nigel wants to thank you for such an encompassing definition of bisexuality that we can point to people to when needed, and I would totally agree with that. Um, your definition of bisexuality, which thank um, you, Nigel. covers lots of um, you know the whole sort of a very broad approach, um, and how you you know might uh, I haven't got it exactly in front of me, but how you know it might be. Um, I can di- do it. Different. You can do it. You, you've rehearsed it backwards, so I you can do it. you go for it. Let's put it into the pod, the it's, show and podcast. Go for it. <laughs> it's right here in my head. Um, so my definition of bisexual is the following: I call myself bisexual because I acknowledge in myself the potential to be attracted romantically and or sexually to people of more than one gender, not necessarily at the same time not necessarily in the same way and not necessarily to the same degree. And for me, the bi and bisexual Mm. refers to the potential for attraction to people with genders similar to my own and different from my own. Yeah. Um, Look, absolutely. um, That is the case. And, you know, there's this, I mean, in the horrible, um, um, you know, binary days, um, people would say, well, if you're not 50-50 bi, you're either lesbian gay, slash gay or heterosexual um, and all those sorts of things, which, of course, instantly erases non-binary people. But, you know, it really gets to the point where, you know, it's a whole idea that sexuality and things like gender identity and gender expression are kaleidoscopes. And, of course, sex characteristics slash bodies can are more than binary as well, with acknowledgement to our intersex cousins, if I can put it that way. Um, so, yeah, it's a great definition that really gets to the core of bisexuality that, um, you know, you've, you're just not locked into one. And, of course, people add in their own thoughts. Sometimes people feel attracted to an energy which could come from any sex or gender. Um, yes. Yeah, you've and, got and some thoughts there. Yeah, I always have thoughts there. <laughs> so, <laughs> what, I would, what I would say to that is one of the things that my work has really taught me is that attraction is so multifaceted and that there are so many different ways that we can be attracted to other people. You know, one of them is sexual, one of them is romantic, but there's also aesthetic attraction, the attraction to just the way somebody looks or something about them. There's, there's um, attraction to, you just said energy. I think that's a really important one too. Sometimes you're attracted just to someone's, someone's spark, their glow, their, you know, their Mm. fire. Um, you could be attracted to someone's passion. You could be attracted to someone's creativity. You could be attracted to 
somebody's posture, the way they stand, mm. right? You could be attracted to that. You could be attracted to their confidence. I mean, there are so many different types of attraction. And I think that that means that all of our sexual orientation and labels are just a little piece of, of the complex reality of what attraction really is. Yeah, definitely multi-layered and multifaceted. So the other part of our conversation, which you know gets us, well, somewhat beyond sexuality and gender, is I didn't, I have to be honest, I didn't know who to turn to in the United States following, well, I, I'm trying for, hard to find the right words and tone, but the obviously, well, horrible decision that happened 10 days ago where the USA Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, which opened up sadly, the potential for banning abortions in many states in the USA. And I mean, some, I tried to look up the various maps that have gone around, some will automatically go into effect and because laws that were at the state level now come back and others will want to bring them in. Um, you know, I mean, first of all, totally acknowledging everyone's feelings. What What sort of feelings are going on there in the last week you're a bit closer to it um, than I am and I also want to say of course whilst this predominantly overwhelmingly affects cisgender and endosex women it could affect trans men and it could affect um, assigned female non-binary and of course it's going to affect those who are poorer including people of color more so so many aspects to unpack but let's try I'll try to go through it in a logical order as best as I can the reaction first up and what's been going on in about the last 10 days since it happened? Well, I'll say that that um, the, the, the signs that this was about to happen have been around for a while. Mm. There's, you know, there's a right wing movement in this country that has been you know, working toward this, this goal. Um, but when it happens, when it actually happens, it, it, it just, it just knocks you over. It, mm. It's just, it's tragic. And, it's, it's. I think what you said about it affecting different people differently is a really important point because I know. I first of all, I live in a. I live in one of the blue states and one of the, you know, politically progressive states. Mm. So, we haven't yet been directly impacted. But if if the Republicans win the, the, election in um. In November, if they win the midterms. Mm. I mean, they could easily um, pass a national, but I, I bet they're going to get rid of the filibuster and pass national, you know, abortion ban. So a lot of it depends on what happens next. Um, but right now people in almost half the country will be living in, in about half the country in terms of number of states, not population, but mm. states will be living in places where, you know, abortion is not accessible. And in many cases where there's no exception, for rape, incest, or the life of the mother. Like, it's going to be horrible for so many people. And, you know, I think, as you said, you know, people who are middle class or above can travel mm. to a place where it's safe. Um, people who are poor, low income, don't have that option. And, or it would be much harder for them to access that option. So I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be a very hard time. And a lot of it depends on whether our low information population um rises up and and you know votes votes out the people who are who are enabling this yeah it's something that perhaps <clears throat> no i'm 
you know, here far in Australia, I mean, I obviously do not claim to be any sort of sociologist and particularly, you know, I don't think it's right that someone from Australia would comment on American sociology. So from a very amateur lay point of view, it seems like there is this divide where you've got the blue states who are on the coasts and then you've got this conservative belt starting, say, from the middle of the border with Canada coming down through the central USA and then off to the south and east. And I don't quite understand the nature of that sort of conservatism, that there is that sort of belt. Is there a, you know, I'm just, it was just a curiosity question as to how that has happened. Um, is there some historical roots to it or something else that I don't understand that might help us pinpoint what we can do? Well, there's a lot of things happening. Um, one thing that happened is happening is that in the United States, the rural states have much more power ah. per person than the urban states which are the coastal states. Um, and that, for example, the people in the state of Montana, which has less than a million people, I believe, mm-hmm. has more, more um, has two senators, just like California, which has, you know, mm. I don't know how many million they have, but it's, it's 20, 30 million people. Like, and they have the same amount of senators as, as this little tiny um, state of Montana or Vermont or North Dakota, like these little tiny states that have huge amounts of disproportionate power. Um, and then we also don't have good protections on the local level. So there's a lot of um, gerrymandering of, mm. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but of yes. arranged electoral district, district districts to favor those who are already in power. Yep. So I just want to explain that to our listeners. So gerrymandering is where boundaries are distorted in a House of Parliament or Congress to um, so that they're not isn't an even number of electors and they're not in a we'll say a sensible ish geographic arrangement. And I have seen this where you know gerrymanders are almost set to certain streets or something um, or suburbs, whereas in Australia our dominant national house of parliament the lower house house of representatives where there's 151 electorates it's roughly equal numbers um for the eligible number of voters distributed um with about a five percent or ten percent variation so it's less likely to happen whereas um and our senate to be fair is a gerrymander because our six states each have 12 senators and tasmania's population is vastly different to new south wales um so it's not an even sort of waiting, that is E-I-G-H-T, waiting of votes. Um, <laughs> there's my 1982 Year 12 politics that got dug out of a brain cell somewhere. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a... So the term gerrymander, just yeah. Sally, Sally, the term gerrymander actually comes from the word salamander. Yes. There was a politician with the last name of Jerry yeah. who, who arranged, they arranged a district that looked like a salamander, it looked like a lizard. Yep, that's it. So it made no geographical sense, and they all did. They did that to keep certain people in the district and certain people out, so that they would be able to get certain people elected. Yeah, one of the most infamous ones in Australian political history at a state level was someone who was a 1960s, 70s, and into the 80s version of, hate to say, a certain previous president of the US. Um, a guy called Joe Biocchi peterson who was a state premier of Queensland who weighted seats more to Liberal and National parties, our two Conservatives, which for our international listeners, equivalent roughly of, say, the US Republicans or UK Conservatives, and kept them in mm-hmm. power for a long time. But in the end, he couldn't hold, and 
now Queensland has an equal electoral system, at least for now. So yeah, it's a big issue. Um, yeah, that that you know wait, waiting. The challenging part um, is that whilst I don't also don't claim to be something else, and that's a a U.S. constitutional legal expert, is the legal technicality of this decision could affect many, many other decisions to do with um, LGBTIQA plus rights, including marriage equality in the US, sexual rights, many others. And so it is, you know, for some people, birth control, control, yeah, uh, many other things. So it's quite disconcerting um, that this happens. Now, I'm not going to ask you to try it to, unless you want to explain that legal sort of precedent, but... um, just to have, if you have any thoughts generally on it. Well, actually, I can say a little tiny bit about it, which was that the decisions about about merit, Roe was based on the right to privacy, which is a clause in the Fourteenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Uh-huh. Um, marriage equality and the right to birth control and other things are based on both on the right to privacy. And also on um, equal protection. Well, marriage marriage equality was based on equal protection mm-hmm. as well. So equal protection under the law. And so one of the two pillars upon which marriage equality was decided by the courts in a five to four decision um, rests was just knocked knocked out was just knocked out. Okay, so it's teetering, um, one might say. Mm. It's. And they said in their decisions that that it doesn't. It's only about 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 um, about abortion. But I don't believe that because they've said a lot of things and then later used that same decision, you know, to or, to make a case against something and, and change the law again. So I I I, don't, I think it's very very it's a very dangerous time, and we need a national. We also need national laws that protect because that would be a solution as well. But right now in the U.S., to change anything, you need the House, the Senate, and the President to all mm. you know, support something. In the Senate, the House is fine, but in the Senate you need 60 out of 100 senators need to approve something before it can even be brought up for debate. Yeah. And of course, it's only it's about was it forty nine or fifty Democrats um, from memory? Um, yeah, it's split right now. Yeah, yeah but and, and you, but we would need you need sixty to bring something up to debate right now. The way everything is structured and mm. and yeah, it's it's very complex. And obviously, U.S. you know intricacies are not as relevant to Australia, but but it's a dangerous time, and a lot of it depends on what happens in the ballot box. Well, yeah, that is what was sort of indirectly. That was something I was going to ask, and that is, is there anything that people outside of the US, including Australia, can do? And I'll also ask, and not do that would be helpful, and not to do it if it's not helpful. I mean, um, you know, I mean, it's all very well to you know send out rainbow vibes or something, but that sounds a bit trite. Um, you know, what is there? Are there things that we can do that? you know, that might show support that are practical. Um, we had the, today's Sunday papers here in Australia are full of um, thousands marching um, in support of um, right to choose and abortion in solidarity, which is great. But um, 
you know, what else is there that we could do? I mean, it just, I have read a couple of articles on where people can go, go for support in America, but is there, you know, just what, what sort of thoughts are there? It's a really good question. I think just keeping the issue um, in the, in the light um, right now, I think it's challenging too, because I would say that most people in this country are very low information in the, in that they don't understand how, the court works, how laws are made. They, there's there's not a good civics education in most schools in this country. Mm. And so I think people don't even understand the mechanics, which are very helpful when you're trying to make change, right? Understanding the mechanics. Yeah. And therefore, they may not understand even what they can do. Um, I, think, I think also people in the U.S. tend not to understand their position relative to the rest of the world because they center themselves so um, <laughs> intensely and and sometimes forget that there is, because like, we're number one, we do everything the best. We have the best standard of living. We have the best everything, which is not true, right? Mm. But people in this country think it is. We're the most freedom. We're the most exceptional, et cetera. Um, and by the way, don't believe those things. Um, but, but I think that, um, for example, even with like with healthcare, like we are the only industrialized country, the only advanced industrialized country that does not have universal health care of some sort. And people in the U.S. don't know that. They don't realize that. They don't understand that in most parts of the world that's considered a right and an entitlement. I think that maybe keeping reminding people in the U.S. how many from outside, like how many other countries have abortion as a as a right as a you know something that is accessible to all people who need it um i think that people in this country are really for the most part are really we're not not everyone but again you know some some people in this country and many people are just low low information yeah and, so access to information and education is what is very very important robin it's you know, I'm consensed that it's late at night there, so I'm just going to check in. Is there anything else that you wish to add? And I might um, sort of let you head off to, to bed because it's, it is getting late there um, as it comes Actually, up towards 11 p.m. Is there anything else you wanted to add on anything we've discussed? Actually, there are a couple of things. Um, one is I just wanted to say that when I came to Australia for Better Together. It was my second time. I also came in 1997 for a bi-conference. Mm. Got to be part of the Mardi Gras float, which was amazing. And our, our motto was discrimination puts us all in the same boat. Yeah, It was sponsored by the Sydney Bisexual Network and it was wonderful. Um, but I think one of the things that I loved about coming to Melbourne for the conference was just seeing what great work you're doing there. Like there is a lot of energy and really smart, engaged people on the ground doing you know, doing some really good and important work and really making a difference. And I think one example of that difference is when you look at the Better Together conference. It really is. It really did feel inclusive. Like it felt, it felt like my people weren't just tolerated there. Like we were really welcome there and given you know given space to do our programming. And like there was there was it felt good. And I think that. For me, coming to Australia was a great experience for that reason because I just got I got so inspired and charged up by all the wonderful people I got to spend time with there, and I think that's what I love about about my work so much. And 
Uh, I'll also mention again by Women Quarterly because that's mm. another place where I get to meet people not in person but through their words, through their written words, through their poetry, through their visual art, through their written words. And if anyone reading this, listening to this, um, identifies as bi plus and either as a woman or a non-binary person mm. who is comfortable in that space, like we want to hear from you. Like we want your words. We want you to read us. We want you to consider sharing your own thoughts and words and Again, bywomanquarterly.com, and it's free. We, we make this resource free to anyone. It's a wonderful resource. I've had the honour to write for it, and many um, by women and non-binary people from this continent and surrounding islands have as well. And the last thing, given that we are you know, sort of international, um, very international today, you're heading over to um, Nordic lands um, in the next few days. I am. I'm going tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> I'm wow. leaving for Sweden. I'm speaking in, in Malmö, which is a city in um, Sweden. And yeah, and I'm really excited about that. I'll be there for their Pride Week, which is this whole um, week starting, starting I believe, on Monday. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I'll be doing a couple of, I'll be doing a keynote. I'll be doing a workshop. I'll be um, doing a conversation. I'll be going over to Copenhagen and visiting the folks there. Um, I'm so excited about this trip, and it's, I love the I love the global work as well. And one of the other things that I should mention is that for again for bi plus folks, for bi pan queer oh. fluid et cetera folks, is that we have quarterly global um, meetups. They're called bi plus world meetups. Yes, and we've been doing them every quarter. I think we're the next one will be the seventh time we've done it, and it's. We're now doing them twice, 12 hours apart. Um, so it'll be July 15th and 16th. I guess for you, it would be July 16th. Yeah. And they're wonderful. And they're just like, we just do breakout groups and you get to meet different people from all over the world. We've had people from probably 35, 40 different countries show up. And it's it's just, a again, that, that sense for me, the sense of being part of something much bigger than my local, my local group, my local activism, like to be part of something global is just such a great feeling. And it makes me feel inspired. It makes me realize how much good work is happening in all these different places in Australia and the Philippines, in um, Poland. Like there's some really great work happening in India. Like there's really great work happening all, not all over the world, but in so many parts of the world. And to be able to um, witness it, be part of it, hear people talk about it is so exciting to me awesomeness well look i'd better let you get to bed and make sure that you get a good night's sleep before racing off to the airport tomorrow whatever i'm really appreciative of the time robin um just hang on for a second while i um you know just sort of um, move into um, our episode of pacific x talking um pacific islander and queer and um then we'll um I'll let you go. Um, so thanks very much to Robin Oaks all the way from the east coast of North America guesting on the show today. Talo falava, maalo elele, kiorana, fakalo falahiatu, kiora, misa bulavinaka, aloha, womenjaka, and hello. 
We are PX Fano, a Pacifica LGBTIQ plus podcast created during the COVID-19 pandemic as a voice for our community, informing and promoting good health and keeping our rainbow Fano safe from COVID. This is presented by the Pacific X Collective and produced on Wurundjeri land in the studios of 3CR in Nam, Melbourne. Malulele, my name is Maki Kitione. I am Tonga Cook Island and my pronouns are he, him. This episode is going to be a little different. I want to take this time to acknowledge a few Pacifica platforms as well as a few mutual aid programs that were running during the pandemic. I had the opportunity to see the work our people did in the community and is the reason why I want to acknowledge the amazing work they did. COVID wasn't the best experience, and for some was a time when jobs were lost, living situations were hard, human connections were non-existent outside of your household. It was times like these when services from around Nam came together with a wanting heart to serve our communities. Vasa Consultancy was one of those platforms I'd like to acknowledge. Vasa Consultancy supported the Pacifica vaccination rollout strategy developed by Pacifica Community Engagement Advisor Rita Siu Manutafa. Supported by the Pacifica elders and leaders of Victoria, they offered Pacifica appropriate engagement for Victorians. For more information on what Vasa Consultancy does, visit vasaconsultancy.com.au. On their website, they have information on COVID-19 in Pacifica languages. So if you need more information in different Pacifica languages, feel free to visit and download. Another group I'd like to acknowledge is the Fijian Community Association Victoria Group. You are the definition of community. The work you did for your people and the wider Pacifica communities was heartwarming. If you didn't receive updates from the Victorian government, you received it from these guys. I appreciate your ongoing work in community and look forward to seeing what more you do in public spaces. For more information on the work FCAB do, visit fcab.org, fcab.org. Another group, Pacific Connections, fundamental to community, navigating info sessions so that everyone was informed about COVID vaccines and COVID itself. Thank you for your work during the pandemic. Pacific Connections informs, promotes, connects and strengthens Pacific communities and it showed in their efforts during the pandemic. For more information on Pacific Connections, visit their Facebook and Instagram, Pacific Connections. Though I don't have much time to note all the amazing other platforms, there is one in particular that I volunteered for during lockdowns. And that was with the Food Angels Mutual Aid Group. I had the privilege of delivering meals to folk that needed it. It was something that gave me purpose. I am fortunate to have seen the amazing work they do, especially when it comes to supporting our LGBTQIA communities. For more information on the work they do, visit the Food Angels Mutual Aid Instagram page for more information. Thank you for tuning in to PX Fano. Be sure to keep yourself safe, to keep others safe, to keep community safe. This is PX Finally, you're listening to Marky. Bye. You've been listening to PX Fano with the Pacific X Collective. 
speaking about keeping COVID safe and what that means to the Pacifica LGBTIQA plus community. For more of the latest information about COVID, go to www.health.gov.au. Listen and download our episodes from 3cr.org.au forward slash And to find out more about who we are, go to pacificx.com. PX Fano would like to thank the Victorian Government Multicultural Communications Outreach Program for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Our theme music is performed and produced by Vina. Catch us again next week on Out of the Pan on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. Beside me, I am strong, I am free when she's with me. Yeah. Will my sister beside me? I am strong, I am free. She believes in me. They say united we stand, together we stand. Divided we We have the strength to overcome whatever We're comes our way. Stand up and be guided. Say what you have to say. The sister's beside you. With my sister beside me, I am strong, I am free. She believes in me. We build our own changes. Of that you can be sure. The time has come for you to come out. Beside me. I am strong, I am strong, I am free with my sister beside me. I am strong, I am free. With my sister beside me, I am strong, I am free. With my sister beside me. Hey Humor, this is Jeffrey Jungler Simran from Jindu Desert Band. We love community radio, 3CR. Support independent music and views on air called 94198377 to subscribe or online at 3cr.org.au You are Palya. Are you wondering how you can pledge your support for a 3CR radio program during Radiothon? It's easy. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit our website at 3cr.org.au Or you can even come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, chewing office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FVOS. Or simply post us your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 in Collingwood 3066. And thank you for being part of 3CR's annual Radiothon. Three CR eight five five AM three CR digital three CR dot org dot AU three CR on demand out of the pan with Sally first broadcasting 
noon through one Australian Eastern Standard Time um, and in any time zone around the world. Hello if you are listening from anywhere in the world to, well, um, thanks once again to Robin Oaks. Um, I think it's fair to say world famous Buy plus person, bioneer, bicon, you name it, um, that's um, Robin. Um, I forgot to thank the crew from Out of the Blue, diving deep for the marine news as they always do prior to Out of the Pan every Sunday and um, then flipping it over following their, their um, the show is Freedom of Species um, about work behind dog rescue. Um, so thanks to the crew from Freedom of Species who are just such great supporters of the show. Now, the other thing, you just heard a message about Radiothon. Um, Out of the Pan has accelerated in the last couple of weeks since Radiothon. And the last um, um, count I got, as opposed to the one on Sesame Street, they love to count. No, the count of Radiothon, we're at $1,346 and we had 1450 So we're over 90% of the way there. Come on, the last 10% just slide us down the hill, get us to that target um, for Out of the Pan and... Um, we're done for another year. And it's, I just say it very warmly. Thank you to all the people who have supported Radiothon, regardless of which show you nominated. Um, you know, our 3CR listeners are not um, often reveling in the money, so to speak. And it just always warms my heart that there are people out there who may be battling along, whether it's sexuality, nationality, anything else, um, mental health issues, yet there's always... Um, we. You know, the shows gradually roll in, get their target, and then the station gets its target and can keep doing what we do and bringing you the programs that we love for another year. Um, so, yep, a, um, you know, a huge, it's so much happening at the moment, um, but not enough queer stuff. I'm just a little disconcerted, apart from without wanting to be self indulgent, the interview with Jed Canney, um, where are we now, four or five weeks ago, back on the 5th of June show, I just haven't heard anything from our federal Labor government. And one thing that does seem to be paralleling is whilst we're saying lots of words, both federal Labor and Biden in the US, this is a terrible decision, it's horrible, but what are we doing? What's proactive? And I just, I can only, I'm only speaking for this country, I'm a firm believer that the majority of people want to be good people, want to do the right thing, include on LGBTIQA+, I'll only speak from that lens. And I just think Labor's still feeling a bit spooked from, say, three years ago, and I think they, I don't know, um, they maybe they need to see a body worker and shift their energies or something because we're just feeling a bit abandoned. And particularly now that I'm feeling a little calmer than I was last week over the issues of sport, content note, which I just feel incredibly disappointed by. And it's an interesting thing. You know, um, you look at, um, you know, the majority of people of FINA, um, you know, it looks like to me, as far as I can tell, I can see a lot of stale, probably cishet endo males controlling all sorts of women's bodies, an unaccountable institution controlling women's bodies. Sounds pretty parallel to the US Supreme Court. But what gets me in both cases is, People who seem to sell out their roots, and I'll only talk about FINA here, how can the cis women swimmers, um, you know, what happened to that, um, say what they, some of them, um, say what they said? You know, there's that old saying, you can tell who the strong women are, they're the ones lifting other women up, you know, to quote the song we just had, Titus, with my sister beside me, and that can be C-I-S-T-A-S-T-A, sister, as well as S-I-S, as well. I just find that really bizarre and, you know, really sad. 
what I will find ironic is that they supported that. What happens when those people who supported that, they're subject to chromosome tests, they come up with other than, in inverted commas, expected female chromosomes and they won't be able to swim anymore. They'll be howling about how unfair it is. So I just, you know, I just feel that there's this sense of institutions that aren't really accountable back to the masses controlling people's lives, whether it's judges or, um, you know, autocratic swimming organisations or whatever. And there's a real, you know, it's that sense of disconnect between the um, the grassroots and the populace. And we had a um, a a message in on Twitter. Um, about poor civics education here in Australia. Um, people don't know Governor-Generals sign off on bills before past Parliament come laws and governors in the states. And thanks to um, Kayleen and Riley for their great comments um, on loving the interview. Robin Oaks is just absolutely awesome and only months away. Anyway, I'm seconds away from finishing the show. Take it out today as part of NAIDOC Week. Um, I can only think of one way to go out. Uh, Midnight Oil featuring Dan Sultan, Joel Davison, Kalina Briggs and um, Bunna Laurie and um, Gadigal Land as part of NAIDOC Week. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week.